To this special edition of Ink Studs, I am Deb Aoki. I'm the manga editor for About.com, and I am here with my guests Chris Butcher, Ryan Sands, and David Welsh. Um, first, let me let them introduce themselves because I know they're really good at it. So, Chris, please. Hi, I'm Chris Butcher from Comics212.net, and I also am the manager of the Big Island, a great comic book store in Toronto, Canada. And I'm running the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, which is coming up May 8th and 9th, 2010, in scenic Toronto, Canada. Wonderful. Okay, David, how about you? I'm basically just a nerd who reads lots <laughs> of comics. Um, I keep a blog called The Manga Curmudgeon. It's precur at wordpress.com, P-R-E-C-U-R. And that's pretty much about it. Oh. And you wrote for... Um, yeah, I, I wrote a, a weekly manga column for about five years called Flipped, for, first for Comic World News and then for the Comics, Refor- comics Reporter. 
and Ryan. Uh, I'm Ryan Sands. Uh, my day job is boring tech stuff, but I run I run the uh, indie manga blog Same Hat, which is samehat.blogspot.com, uh, where we talk about weird stuff, horror, comics, and just whatever we like. And then um, my pet project is I edit manga for uh, with Last Gasp, the publisher in San Francisco. Um, and with my friend Evan Hayden, we uh, adapted Tokyo Zombie last year, and we're working right now on the Strange Tale Panorama Island by Suhiro Morrow. And when is that coming out, by the way? Good question. Uh, later this year. <laughs> okay, excellent. All right. Um, well, one reason why I asked you all here today is because Ink Studs is basically about, you know, indie comics, um, comics in general, but not so much about manga. But um, there's a lot of manga that I think a lot of you know, Ink Studs listeners might enjoy. So you three are really great comics omnivores. You read comics from you know, Europe and Asia and America, and you have excellent taste. So um, just, I guess I wanted to ask you guys, meaning everyone starts somewhere with manga. Where did you start? Um, Chris? Probably with the anime. Uh, I had a friend in, I guess in junior, in, in eight to five even, who'd seen Akira. Excuse me, Akira, and uh, probably shouldn't have because he was far <laughs> young for it. But blew his mind, and uh, it's like you've got to see this thing. You've got to see this thing, and just like everything else, it was VHS, you know, trading at that point. So I saw that, and it sort of blew me away. And then, uh, yeah, it was just about, you know, I got to get more of this. And uh, luckily, I happened into two good friends who lived around the corner, who again, though younger than me, uh, were really big manga or anime sort of nerds, and uh, <clears throat> they got onto some sort of university. Uh, tape trading thing in the early 90s, like, I guess when that was really big. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're like 11 and 12 and trading tapes with all these, like, 19 or 20-year-olds, which, you know, now would be a real warring sign for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we got to see all kinds of just amazing stuff, uh, you know, that was that was fan subs and things like that. And then it was at their house I probably first saw uh, manga, or at least really realized that there was you know, comics versions of the anime as well. And uh, just reading a couple of, of manga versions of my of the anime I enjoyed, I realized how much more I love them. Like, it might have just been that I like comics, but it also might have been the fact that I think a lot of the times, you know, the manga's just really better. Like, it's just better done. So that was, uh, that was for me, you know, a big sort of eye-opener that there's, there's, there's different versions. And from then on, it was really hard to enjoy the anime versions because they had to cut so much of the story or they... They, the the characterization and things like that sort of took a second place to having the animation be there, you know, and uh, it's probably a, an awful generalization, but it's just, you know, I, I remember uh, Lum, Yosei Atsura in particular, was an anime series that I just, I could not stand. I know that makes more <laughs> sort of heretic, but I, I hated the anime. Mm, what uh, did you hate about it, by the way? The voices, mostly, like, oh. the, the characters were terrible, but also that the characters were all terrible, like, there was no... <laughs> No one to root for at all, and I might have just been at that point where I hadn't realized that sometimes you can have good stories without really good people in them. But mm. I, I still can't get into Lum for whatever reason. And uh, the manga I was reading, I'm like, oh, this is really tolerable. Uh, <laughs> as to the anime, it was intolerable. Uh, and I was a huge Ranma fan. I even liked Maison Koku, but mm. yeah, whatever it was, Lum just man turned me off. So. Yeah, it was it was definitely like that. Maybe I was like fourteen or fifteen. I really shifted away from the the anime stuff into the manga. And then I guess the big awakening was probably Pulp Magazine when it came out. It sort of blew my mind. That was in when was that? Was it early nineties or? Uh, I think it was. 
I don't know, Ryan. No, I think it was uh, like 1997 or 96, maybe. I, I have the whole run here, but it was definitely not till the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I was on the Warren Ellis forum, and Alvin Liu, who's the editor of Pulp at the time, made the brilliant idea to join the most popular comics forum <laughs> online and say, "Hey, you might like this manga we're doing. It's closer to the kind of stuff you already like than you know maybe some of the younger manga <laughs> or the more so like hardcore otaku stuff." And it was like a really, you know, it was an eye opener. And I went and picked it up, and I loved it. Like I, I, I didn't love everything in it. I actually remember hating Tech on Kingcrete at first. <laughs> right, okay. Black White. I totally hated it, and it was my <laughs> least favorite thing in the magazine. I probably liked <laughs> Voyeur's Inc. the most, and uh, <laughs> which was, uh, it's not a proud moment. I'm not, I'm not detailing something proud here, but it was really took me a long time of reading that stuff and having my, maybe even, you know, like I'm saying, my aesthetic improved by being exposed to all this other different stuff and realizing, oh my god, what Matsumoto is doing here is so far beyond what anyone else in the magazine even is doing, mm. or or in English. And that actually, that was like my big like, okay, I thought, you know, I found out that manga is a thing, and now I find out that manga could be everything. Right, right. It's, it's a little bit of an adjustment, isn't it? Because it's a very oh. different style. Uh, very much so, yeah. So, David, how did you first discover manga? I might be a little weird in that I sort of came to it really late. Um, I had always read superhero comics, Marvel and DC, for years and years and years and started to get sort of impatient with that. And just via blogs and people whose tastes I shared in other kinds of comics, recommending different manga series like John Jacala and Joanna Draper Carlson, um, suggesting titles that... Such sort of as... Like, what kind of titles caught your eye first? But the first one was Sergeant Frog, which just seemed ridiculous and absurd. Really? I hadn't laughed at a comic in a long time, mostly because, you know, wives are being beheaded and buried graders <laughs> and things, and that was sort of depressing, so I sort of wanted something a little lighter, and John was like, well, you know, there's this comic about alien space frogs, and that was pretty much the last, you know, I never looked back. So, I mean, obviously, I read a lot of different and I think Joanna recommended Hot Gimmick which to my shame I still love even though it's this <laughs> that's <laughs> the guilty <Joanna>. pleasure <laughs> it is, it is to- I, someone online called it the manga of her feminist shame and I think <laughs> you know that still sort of applies in my heart but yeah. those those were the two big first entries into it and as Chris said you know, you sort of discover that there are all these different types of stories and mysteries and adventures and just slice of life stories and romances and it's just a whole wider sphere, you know. And I'm very I'm very story and character driven in in what I like, mm-hmm. so it was it was right up my alley. Excellent. And so Ryan, how did you discover manga? Um, mine is similar to Chris's a little bit, although um, yeah, I I started with Akira and actually. Uh, on the blog for my zine, we were talking about Akira recently as a gateway drug, and um, <laughs> there's a lot of overlap, I think, with people of our generation, like uh, Dash Shaw, who did Bottomless Belly Button and uh, Body World from Pantheon coming out soon. He simi- had almost, it was kind of eerie how similar it was, like a friend with the VHS, <laughs> and then loaned him Akira, and then he watched it every, you know, like I did it, I watched it a couple times a, a week. For most of seventh grade, wow. and then uh, started renting everything at Blockbuster. But I, I don't watch much anime, and I haven't for over ten years. I, I, I had a similar thing. Like once I found the manga, I kind of stopped with anime. But um, 
Pulp was a Pulp was a big eye opener for me. But before Pulp, I actually I was reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man and those comics, and uh, got a subscription to Mixzine, mm-hmm. which later became Tokyo Pop, I guess. Um, and that had four. I think it had four things in it. It was like uh, Ice Blade or something. Parasite. I don't know what that was. And then Parasite, Sailor Moon, and Magic uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. And um, yeah. Guess which one that I was really into is Parasite, of course. And, uh, what? No. <laughs> Sailor Moon. Just admit it, Ryan. <laughs> Everyone loves Sailor Moon. Love Sailor Moon. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, but Pulp was really the first, like, um, the first thing that really took me. And um, I, I was really lucky because I I had like no money for comics mm-hmm. except for floppies, like during high school, but. My friend Evan Hayden, who I worked on Tokyo Zombie with, had like everything. Like he uh, was importing comics and uh, just had this weird library. And that was the, sort of the start of our friendship. We actually met because uh, I had an Akira T-shirt and he had a, an Akira patch on his book bag. So um, <laughs> I, I, borrow, I borrowed all of those. Uh, I borrowed a lot of that stuff from him. But um, I think I'm gonna yell like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um. I mean, the simplest, uh, the, the one, the book that we, we should probably talk about later, that, uh, but um, Comics Underground Japan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, was pu- that was published by Blast. I think it's kind of like the grandfather hallmark book to start with, and that was published in 1996. So that was right around the time I was in middle of high school, and that really opened my eyes. That was the first time I encountered Suhiro uh, Maro and... Um, uh, Kazuchi Hanawa, just just a lot of different styles all in one place. It was really nice, and it only cost like fifteen bucks, so that was good for my budget. Right. But that was how it started for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the indie, I mean indie or innovative artistic manga has been around for oh at least ten fifteen years now. We've all mentioned pulp, um, and I guess maybe we should kind of explain what happened with pulp <laughs> that it kind of came and went. And maybe America wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Jason Thompson, who was a longtime editor at, at, at Viz, and uh, he worked on that along with Alvin and uh, Patrick and Carl, uh, Patrick Macias and Carl Gustav Horn. And I mean, he has, they've said sort of in no such small terms that basically Pokemon paid for Pulp. <laughs> like completely. Like Pokemon was the cash cow that allowed them to do Pulp. Pulp was around for about four years, I think, and it ended in 2001, right when it was serializing Uzumaki by Junji Ito. But it, it is very weird that all the stuff, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on Sam Hat and indie comics kids really like, mm-hmm. there was a huge burst of it in 98, 99, 2000, and then kind of real quiet for about four or five years until John and Quarterly and Fan, you know, other companies started picking up the ball. And now Viz is publishing stuff that we call indie manga, so right, I mean, it's been kind of, interesting to watch. You can kind of see, like, you know, like, Pokemon fu- funded Pulp, and now Naruto is fun- funding Zigiki, so to speak. Uh, very much so. And, and you know, I, I, I was thinking about it, and, and what made Pulp so special to me is there was a time between when I was working at sort of a comic book store in, my, uh, in the suburbs and when I'd moved to the big city and before I started working at the Big Island. And, yeah, I, was, I didn't have a lot of money. I was, you know, still living on my own for the first time. And the only comic I could really get because, you know, going to a comic book store was just, was just torture, 
was pulp. Like, I was reading it before, mm-hmm. and, and they had the newsstand distribution. And so for a long time, that was the only comic I was buying, because I could go and get it at, you know, the corner store on my way to work in the morning, or usually from my way from work, because you couldn't really carry it into work. It was pretty dirty. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, the wrong chapter of Strain by Rochi Kikami. But, uh, sorry, to give away end of, to this for people who don't, who aren't, like, big nerds like us, like, realistically, like, they took these guys that were just really big manga fans of, of really good stuff that might not be the most commercial thing, you know, they got together and put together a magazine that was full of just great, great work that was unlike stuff that was being translated here, and they paid for it with, you know, the Pokemon money, and then they put it out on newsstands, they, they did as much promotion and press as they could for it. It's kind of like if Fanographics somehow scored the Harry Potter license, did a really perfect, <laughs> perfect version of Harry Potter, and then decided that Moam should come out every month and be put on every newsstand in North America. Like, that's exactly what it was. And, you know, maybe maybe North America's ready for Moam on the newsstands. Maybe it's not. But Pulp, unfortunately, was uh, a, little, a little ahead of its time. So I, I'm really, you know, it, it really was very, very important to me at a certain point in my life like artistic and aesthetic development it was just like you can do anything with comics and I think that a lot of people today who are just sort of aware of manga especially like indie comics guys mm. kind of guys that listen to ink studs usually I think that you know you would find stuff in there that would just blow your mind I actually gave uh, one of our one of my co-workers a copy of Bakune Young oh, really? and he's you know and, and we, we had copies in the store still and it just just totally blew his mind. He's like, I had no idea. Cause, and he works around a lot of really great manga, but mm. it's only like Kuna Young, which is like almost like Jeff Darrow-esque or, or you're like very Euro-looking and really tight and controlled, but mm-hmm. sort of explosive, really in that sort of like pencil-drawing kind of giant robot crew of, of artists and illustrators. Like something like that coming out, I guess, 10 years ago now, it, it just, again, it was, it was, it was too, too hip for the room, you know? Right, right. I mean, is there? St- I mean, do you feel like you know the years have, as the years have gone by, people are a little more open to manga? I mean, are a little more aware of the visual vocabulary, and, or is there still a lot of resistance? Uh, gee, I, I don't know, David. You came to manga the latest, right? How did you feel about uh, you know trying to learn the manga tropes and and specialities? Honestly, I didn't really feel like it was that much of an adjustment. I mean, you know, it was the, the direction was different, but it was just something that I guess I adapted to fairly quickly. Um, I, I know I've talked to people who say they just can't align themselves to read it in that order, and, you know, I there's really nothing you can do when someone just has that kind of block to things. But, I mean, beyond that, I... I I'm probably a really bad podcast participant because I was like, I picked it up, I read it, I liked it, I read more, you know? <laughs> so. Right. But, but um, I do well, think... I, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, sorry, go ahead. oh, no, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, uh, all the people I know that are cartoonists and, like, read indie comics, whether we mean, like, art comics or, like, you know, shoegazer relationship comics that are indie, but, um, they, they don't, they seem very, very capable of picking and choosing manga. Like, um, I haven't, I haven't really ever like handed someone what we call an indie manga and had them not want to read it because it's from Japan or the format. The people that I think you're talking to are maybe people who read, you know, superhero comics or even stuff like Dark Horse, like 
Hellboy, Waking Dead. I mean, those are cool comics that aren't superhero comics, but I feel like those might be the people who could have resistance to manga for manga's sake, but most of the people I think who read, listen to in- Ink Studs, I don't think that barrier exists anymore. And it hasn't for a while, I don't think. Uh, I, I totally want to disagree with you, actually. Uh, oh, I didn't know Ink Studs until, uh, until Zach, Zach Gordon, who's first graphic novels coming up from D&Q this year. He's like an art comics-y you know, guy. And uh, he, uh, he was like, oh, Inkstead's blah, blah, blah. And he was working in, with us at the Beguiling for a little while. Uh, and he just couldn't, you know, manga was just not his thing. And he just, no matter what it was, and it's it's a, it's definitely an, an attitude I'd seen from a lot of people who are doing, like, the art comics and stuff like that. And, and you know, I don't want to rat anybody out who shops at the <laughs> store other than he's my friend, but... You know, it, it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, I I just can't make sense of this this manga stuff, and I and I, and I don't, you know, I don't hold it against people because you know everyone's got their 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 ideas about what they like to read and what they don't like to read. But yeah, I do definitely still see that, and it and even at the store, you know, it does take a lot of like effort, and less and less as the years go by. True, and it was sort of like we're like Ryan said, we're the Akira generation. We grew up on that stuff, and so we've got a certain level of acclimation, but. You know, when the Pokemon kids are 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 you know thirty in, in five or five or six years, I think it's going to change the, the the whole ball game. Uh, when when people who are totally into anime and manga as as an idea and as a, as an aesthetic come up, but I still think that there's especially among people our age and older, um, there's still people that are like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about uh, about uh, manga as as an idea. And I think that's what makes Sagiki so important. It's just like here's hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of free manga that you can check out uh, and see that maybe manga is your thing after all. Now, let's talk a little bit about Sigiki because Sigiki, we mentioned Pulp, and Sig- even the people at Viz have talked about Sigiki as the Pulp version <laughs> too, I guess. Um, so they're making it available on all Sigiki.com is Viz Signature's um, I guess, online serialization of Iki Comics, which Iki is... How would you describe Iki, uh, Ryan? Um, it's, a, it's a magazine in uh, Japan. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I Actually, it's kind of hearsay. I don't remember all the details, but I've heard from people at Viz that Iki was started in Japan and was directly informed by Pulp. Mm. Maybe... Yeah, that's what I heard, that... Um, it's a. It was started, kind of in reaction to the way that pulp combines things. I might be making that up, but I think it is worth pointing out, sort of that like what we think of as indie manga mm-hmm. is very much defined by who licensed it over here, mm-hmm. not so much like where it appeared over there. I, I think if you're real deep into manga, you know where certain titles were serialized, and you can be you can think. Because in Japan, it's very stratified by genre, uh, audience type, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, not to derail, I was talking about Sagiki, but I, um, mm-hmm. the the source of where the manga comes from, it, it's all sort of defined by us. Like, people on the same hat who talk about indie manga a lot, mm-hmm. we talk about um, stuff that's, that in Japan nobody knows about. Like, if you went to a regular bookstore, no one would know what the hell you're talking about because it's so underground. But we also talk about horror cartoonists like Kazuo Mezu and these are things that I think indie comics kids like but um, in Japan it's super mainstream so what we call indie or underground is sort of 
decided by where it's published over here. I see. I, see. I, was, I was thinking about that in terms of Drifting Classroom, which, you know, was a kid's horror comic over in Japan, and here it's wrecked and plastic and rated for adults, and it's sort of this kind of thing, and it's like, you know, kids were reading that in the playground that in Japan when it was originally published, weren't they? It's sort of just the way that it, the violence or whatever translates when it's published in English that sort of kind of redefines what what its genre or its category is. And I always think that's interesting when something gets a very different treatment over here than it might have originally. It's just, I mean, not, it doesn't define how I react to the work, but it's always sort of interesting to know when something makes a big demographic shift when it comes over here. Yeah, I, and what I like about Sagiki is that um, these are comics that were published together in Japan, thematically or artistically, or for whatever reason, they had a home together. And so it's nice to have them all in one place over in America, too. And then that was why Pulp was so good, just forcing you to... It's like sort of a sort of curation. They're next to each other. If you like this, you might like that. I mean, I, I only like about half of the comics on Sagiki, but I try them all just because... Um, I trust the the brand or the whatever it is. Right, right. I mean, there's a handful of um, independent manga magazines that you know we've heard of here. There's Gato, there's Axe, there's Iki, and what else is there? There's a com- Comic Beam. Comic Beam. Uh, that's that's where Emma was p- published, right? Yeah. Yeah. Emma, ben, Pink Gun, Little Fluffy Gigolo Pelu, Astral Project. I. <laughs> one of those magazines that I sort of obsess over because if something was serialized in that, the chances are pretty good that I'll like it. So I kind of pay attention. So and That's also where Morrow is being serialized too. So it's, it's, a, it's a very wide range, but there's something about the curation and the editing that, um, yeah, I'm the same as you, David. I'll try any series that was published there first. Isn't that amazing, though, that, uh, that like Emma, which is like a... And this is really beautifully drawn, sort of traditional-looking, uh, in, in a nice way, I guess. Uh, story that made in Victorian England, Victorian England, or Elizabethan England. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, Little Fluffy Gigolo Pillow is like Joe Mizuno's crazy new uh, social commentary book with two girls with long flowing hair and sort of a chibi thing. Uh, and and those are t- those two series are like odd, like like in America. I guess you can look at it. In America, <laughs> one is published yeah. by DC Comics, and one is published by Last Gasp, but in Japan, it's in the same magazine. Uh, I, that kind of, like, that kind of broad, you know, even if you're not, even like Ryan's saying, even if I don't like everything, I'm going to try it because it's curated in a certain way. Mm-hmm. That, that, that spirit totally exists in Japan, and it's so, so refreshing uh, because you can sort of like and be interested in different things like that without it being, yeah, without it having to be, like, well, Last Gasp published that, so it's only available at, like, 15 comic book stores or something. <laughs> Not a knock on Last Gas. They do actually have really good distribution, but the mainstream kind of superhero comic book stores don't tend to, to look past the end of the, the image section of the catalog. So, right. yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. That's really interesting. Well, I think morning and afternoon from Kadansha seem to have sort of the same, maybe not kind of the curatorial rigor, but I, if I hear something has been published there or originally serialized there, that always piques my interest to a certain extent because I would love to read stuff like St. Young Men and Coppers and other series that are either ongoing or just wrapped up from those books. But I think those are all sort of magazines for people who really like comics as opposed to 
a more specific gender or age demographic, aren't they? They're just yeah. Sort of for the they're less formulaic. I mean, that's what I like about those comics is that they're you know like there's a definite shonen jump formula to a story. There's a definite shoujo manga formula, but when once you get into the comics that are in Iki, that are in Axe, that are in Garo, it's very creator centric, very much a creator's vision. Actually, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but uh, <laughs> go for it. Uh, I heard uh, I had actually heard Icky, you know, as a pulp response was was true, but also it was maybe started as a showcase magazine for Taito Matsumoto because he had been hit so big with stuff, uh, and he it was launched with number five, uh, which crashed and burned here badly, but uh, it's awesome. But and and he was like, I, you know, what he was doing there was not really a a regular place for it. He was doing it in big comic spirits, and he had just sort of outgrown the magazine, I think. Aesthetically, and so they started Icky, and number five uh, was started in that magazine. And I'd heard it would, you know, it was kind of like a showcase for him. And then he did number five, and then just disappeared. Actually, he's doing he's doing the samurai manga now, which I can't remember. I can't pronounce it anyway. It's got like like Zan Sotsu, but uh, you know, like, the idea of starting a whole like the idea of starting a whole magazine around one creator and that creator's creator being. I'm just going to pull in all kinds of different influences and do whatever I find really interesting and I think it's going to work. And then, you know, it does. It's great. And then finding a bunch of other creators like that that have those unique voices. Uh, I think that's something that would really appeal here uh, to a lot of comics creators. And I, uh, you know, here's hoping, right? That's true. One, two, three,
So, I mean, we, I don't really want to, um, I know we don't have too much time to chat, but I thought maybe because you guys really see such a wide range of comics and you have such great curatorial sense yourselves, I mean, much like the Japanese editors, would you like to kind of talk a little bit about some books that you consider to be must-reads that, you know, beyond, like, Tezuka and Tatsumi and maybe Naoki Urasawa is kind of like Coltrane and <laughs> Miles Davis. Yeah, it's exactly. Like every jazz fan knows that, but, you know, what's, <laughs> what's the what's the next step? You know, what's the cannonball ad early? <laughs> uh, go for it, Ryan. Oh, God, me? Okay, um... Uh, let's see. Why don't you I, do homework first? I really like Mongo Zombie. Oh, you like? Oh, yeah. You, Tokyo, Tokyo Zombie. Zombie. Oh, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like a lot of the, a lot of the indie comics stuff that I like are action comics lately. Uh, there's like kind of this big upswing in um, sort of big serialized long form action comics. A couple of ones that I guess would be. Um, the Morning Star by Kaz. Um, I really like Dungeon. These are European comics I'm talking about now. So if you like those types of comics, there's a lot of stuff. Some of it's quote-unquote indie, and some of it is just mainstream stuff published by Viz. But um, a lot of people I know that like those sorts of indie comics, like some of these battle manga, like uh, Berserk, for one, is an awesome, crazy comic. I, I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure, can you describe but, Berserk? What's it about? And... Berserk is basically about monsters and sword fighting and um, destruction. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's thirty volumes, what but the good. Special? Um, just the attention to detail. I think like um, I I just really like the pacing. I, I think it's one that indie comics people would like. Um, Chris, why don't you jump in and I'll rack my brain for a few seconds. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeez, uh, sure you get me. Uh, I like a lot of out of print stuff, and that's uh, what I recommend as soon as you come into the store, because uh, then it's gone. But uh, <laughs> Secret Comics Japan, actually, when we had that, it was my number one recommendation because it was. I really like recommending anthologies to people because I, I like anthologies and I want them to succeed, just as like a sort of a general idea. But I really like the idea of people trying a bunch of stuff that they're not exposed to, and then maybe finding something that speaks to them, and then going in that direction. So. I'm always like, hey, you know, if you really like that, you know, if you really like this kind of thing, buy these first three volume ones rather than buying like the first three volumes of one series. And the idea is that maybe one of them is gonna, or two of them are gonna just like hook you, and you're gonna keep reading. Um, so it's like it's like the general idea, but specifically stuff that's been coming out. Um, actually, Biomega just came out, mm-hmm. and it's by uh, Tomu Nihei, I think, and he did uh, Blame, which is actually Blam because he did. <laughs> He didn't know that B-L-A-M-E was blame, and, and blam was actually, had no E on the end, so everyone calls it blame, but it's actually blam, like, he's <laughs> shooting for ten volumes. It's just like some dude, and he shoots people with a giant gun. It's kind of awesome. Uh, but the new one is basically, all I have to do is flip to the page where there is a brown bear who stands up on his hind legs and pulls out a sniper rifle to shoot yeah. at the hero, and you're like, oh, the bear's got a gun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's fuck. And they do, and it's amazing. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's beautifully drawn, and it's it's sort of the pacing is is insane. Like it's it's based yeah. on a video game, but in the best possible way. And he just does these like great big abandoned societies, like de- like like decadence and decay kind of a stuff. And it's all set in the future, and it's like it's way 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 over the top. And it, it feeds into what Ryan was saying about like action comics and adventure comics being a 
sort of neat and appealing to people right now, like that's the one. Like if you want to see a bear shoot a sniper rifle at somebody, this is the book for you. Uh, yeah, you, know, you, should write, you should write blurbs, Chris. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should be blurbed more on the back of books, actually. Uh, Publishers listening, uh, but uh, sure, why not? Uh, what's your what's your recommendation, David? Um, going with the anthology thing, I think a lot of people would really like Japan is viewed by seventeen creators from Fanfare, which is a group of Japanese creators and a group of European creators sort of going to different parts of Japan and and telling stories inspired by that trip. And I think there's some there's some really amazing talent in that book and a huge variety of stories. Um Jiro Taniguchi, Kent uh God, I'll never pronounce her last name. Takahama? Yes. Yes, um, Moyoko Anno. Um, it's just a great book, and it's, like you said, a really nice way to sample a whole lot of different kinds of work and a whole lot of different kinds of storytelling. And it's unfortunately left me with a desire for a whole lot more sort of independent or alternative manga than we have at the moment, but, you know, you live with it. Um, Sexy Voice and Robo is another book that I really love and would love to see get some more attention than it might have gotten initially. Um, it, it was another Iki series, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Can you describe what it's about and what makes it special? Um, it's about a 14-year-old girl who is working for a phone dating club in her spare time and becomes embroiled with this sort of geriatric mobster who <laughs> sends her out to sort of clear up difficult personal issues and she sort of drags this hapless nerd along for the ride, Robo, and basically because he's got a car and doesn't really seem to have anything else to do, but they're just these sort of great little combination action, mystery, character-driven stories, and I really enjoy it a lot. I got my, I think I got my brain back together, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I already mentioned it earlier, but if you can find Comics Underground Japan from Blast, um, it's a really good compliment to Secret Comics Japan. Um, and it's where you'll find a lot of the people who were originally published in Garo and uh, just a lot of really strange stuff. Um, the thing that's coming this year that I've been referring to as like our generation's comics underground Japan or whatever is that um, Top Shelf is publishing, and it was kind of a coup that they got this book. They're publishing this gigantic collection um, called Axe Anthology Volume 1. I think it's like 300 pages. Mm. And it, they work directly with the editor of Axe, which is an ongoing, I think it's quarterly-ish um, magazine. Mm-hmm. It's like Mom, but crazier and better, I think. And um, Crazier how? Detail. <laughs> uh, just more variety. Um, there's action comics. There's relationship comics. There's just straight-up cerebral art experiments. Mm-hmm. But um, this anthology will be coming out sometime this year. It'll and I think it will be kind of the book to hand to people for a long time because it, it'll have such a wide sampling. There's a, I think we went through and did a list of all the creators, and it's basically parallels to most everything that Fanographics, Drawn and Quarterly, and those uh, publishers are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other stuff that I really like, I mean, I really like horror comics, and so... I feel like people might know about them, but if you don't, both Gyo and Uzumaki by Junji Ito are just like must reads. Um, super. I like great of craft too. We find when we when people come to the store, 
Yes. And we're looking for something and we recommend it to them. Like, they're kind of expecting everything in manga to look like Naruto, even if it is a horror manga. Mm-hmm. Right. And the craft there and the way that they, that Ido in particular draws terrible, like horrible, horrible things. Mm. Uh, really is like, it's that, it's that perfect sort of sick fascination kind of a, <laughs> kind of an art that really appeals to like horror fans and especially like alt art comics guys. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, totally right. And then uh, another one, if you, I mean, Drifting Classroom, I think David mentioned that, but it's one of my all-time favorite comics. Um, it's, in brief, a school full of children gets transported to somewhere else where there's gigantic mutant bugs trying to kill them. Um, it's just like Lord of the Flies mixed with this other stuff, but it has this really interesting undercurrent where it's like kind of an anarchist comic where every adult in the book is is a horrible person that you can't trust. Wow. A lot of the a lot of the teachers set themselves on fire or try to kill the kids right away. And uh, this so is the whole comic, yes. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, this this was originally released for elementary school kids. And uh, but I mean the premise the prem it's very episodic, but it's basically about a bunch of kids deciding to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like speeches and a lot of shouting. Um, there's also a lot of people who, like get randomly beheaded and things like that. Um, it's very sweet, though. I, I, I think it's, it's one of my favorite comics ever. Um, and then another book that really, really got ignored, and I think it's very sad that it did, was um, um, Picture... We haven't talked at all about Picture Box, mm. but they really are... I mean, if you like art comics, uh, they have put out a ton of great stuff. Um, two people specifically are Yuichi Yokoyama, mm-hmm. who... I don't even know if he's a cartoonist, really. He's more like a conceptual artist. His his work is so intricate and beautiful mm-hmm. and kind of reaching for something different. It's very geometric, almost entirely wordless. He's a very interesting guy to check out. Uh, both They've released both um, Travel and New Engineering by him. Mm-hmm. And then another book on the other end of the spectrum is um, Monster Man Bureko Lullaby mm-hmm. by Takashi Nomoto, who is kind of like... I guess you could say he's sort of like our crumb in it's stuff's very visceral, very shaky, very shaky, very ugly and very dirty. But, um, there's a lot of like interesting stuff happening in his comic. Also, like there's people like pooping out babies and mutated <laughs> sperms and stuff like that. But, um, that book, that book's really interesting too, because, um, they took the time. I, I don't know how they decided to do this, but they took the time to, to hand letter the entire book. Um, you know, the picture box kind of has a fetishistic sort of book packaging kind of approach to, to art comics. And uh, so they had uh, an indie cartoonist, John Vermelier, actually hand-lettered the entire book. Wow. And it's amazing. Like, it's, um, in terms of comics, like craft and production, it's, I think it's one of the few that really has, I've never seen a comic that was this lovingly, like, adapted into English. Wow. Yeah, they put a lot, they put a lot of craft in their work. I would, I would say Go Go Monster. I just, that one just blew me away. So beautifully presented. That one. Uh, totally. No, I, uh, I, I, it's, it's difficult because, you know, Viz is putting out so much stuff right now, uh, through the Sigiki line especially, but, you know, just in general, it's really interesting that you kind of forget, or I, I kind of forget sometimes to mention that there are other publishers doing great stuff. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, just like, uh, Big, big ups back to, to David's uh, Japan is viewed by 17 creators. We've, we've really sold a lot of that book, and we've really disappointed a lot of people when I tell them that, like, half of the creators have nothing else in English mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Uh, but, you know, it's still, like, it's still sort of twigging an aesthetic appreciation. But, yeah, Fanfare's line in general, I think, uh, you know, they, they, they pick really, really neat, really good books. 
uh, Fanfare was actually supposed to get and release Sexy Voice and Robo, and uh, Viz sort of scooped the rights at the last minute, but Fanfare's uh, uh, Spanish arm, Conan Mall, yeah. at least in Spanish. So, you know, it's uh, it would have been an, a very different book, I think, if Fanfare had released it. I think it would have been received very differently than uh, than when Viz released it. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just looking at the stuff I've got on my shelf here, and it's all kind of like Sig Icky, recent release, slice of lifey kind of stuff, and I I just realized that, like, you know, maybe maybe when Pulp ended, it, it did kind of seem like there wasn't going to be alternative manga anymore. Like, it was all going to be Pokemon and, and Shonen Jump and, and things like that. They were going to just sort of reallocate all of their resources into stuff that was going to clearly make money. And so, yeah, to, for us to be sitting at, you know, 2010 and, and just get getting all this wonderful material from right down to, like, the smallest sort of self-publisher indie guys that are sourcing this material and finding distribution deals and releasing it here mm-hmm. to, you know, Viz deciding, yeah, we're going to reinvest in sort of alternative or interesting comics. Uh, I think the time has never really been better for someone who doesn't necessarily love manga or hasn't necessarily loved manga to go and maybe explore what's out there in the marketplace. And it's down to people like Last Gasp and Fanographics and, and, and Fanfare Ponen Mall and Drawing Quarterly with their Tetsumi stuff and, you know, and... and is as well uh, and vertical and you know there's just so many people doing good work right now that's so true and i think dark horse you sort of have to give them credit they kind of have a reputation as being sort of these bombastic action comics but there's some really interesting sort of lower key stuff like kurosaki corpse delivery service Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a favorite of mine um some some of the short story collections like ohikoshi and tempenchu i both i really enjoyed um yeah, actually, and, and Eden, you know, uh, talking yeah, about the big name. adventure comics, it's uh, it gets overlooked so often. I don't know why I don't think of Dark Horse as a manga publisher. I guess because they do so many different things. But yeah, Eden is great. Uh, I'm I've, I'm I'm slowly working my way through it, and uh, just that first volume alone, that like sort of almost book length science fiction, sort of like right at the cusp of the apocalypse kind of story that it tells. It's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite short, comic short stories. Can you explain what Eden's about for people who might want to pick it up? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's, uh, basically it's, it's, it's going to be the apocalypse, uh, in the first volume and, uh, it could get right to the end and then it turns out that the good guys lose and it's the apocalypse. And then the story picks up like 10 years later or something like that, 15 years later. And the, uh, the characters are in this sort of post-apocalyptic society. Uh, and it's just a great big epic sprawling sci-fi action comic, very much in the, in that right out of the 80s sort of tradition, like, it looks like it's from the 80s. Like, it looks like it's from a, hold, a holdover, but it's, you know, pretty con- contemporary comic as far as I can tell. Like, if it was being serialized at Sigiki right now alongside things like, uh, what's the one with the alligator-headed dude? Uh, Doro Hedoro. Uh, yeah. Doro Hedoro. And, Doro Hedoro. Doro Hedoro. Yeah. Uh, and, and things like that, like, I think it would fit right in. Uh, so if you, uh, if it's been, you know, if your comic store has got a dusty copy of volume one sitting on the shelf and then no further volume, pick up the volume one, you're going to love it. And all the volumes are currently in print too. Uh, the art is very, like, very Katsuhiro Otomo-esque in that one. So if you're a big Akira fan, especially, it's, uh, it's a good one to check out. Yeah. I was going to say, like, um, uh, this last month or so, but I, I've been, um, digging around for, like, a pet project on Same Hat, looking at um, the first manga that were ever translated into English. And um, it's kind of crazy and interesting to see what first came out back then. Also, the nice thing about it is there's no collector's market for manga, really, at all. 
Right. So you can find anything, as long as you're willing to dig, you can, for two or three bucks, aside from a few really hard-to-find books, you can kind of find any of these comics. And there's a lot of insane action comics that were published way early on in the, in the very, like, early years. And actually, interestingly enough, like, most of the first, first manga, this was even before Viz started publishing, was serialized in um, Heavy Metal, and then also in Epic Illustrated, which was a Marvel sort of sexy sci-fi fantasy comic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like the first, uh, I, I don't know what this says about the origins of manga in America, but the first people who really embraced manga, and we're talking way early, were um, they were published alongside Mobius, Charles Burns, and then just a lot of like Steranko guns, and I mean, so there's um. It's interesting that manga in America started with sort of indie um, science fiction mainstream comics. Mm-hmm. I just said I just said indie mainstream comics. That doesn't make sense, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> but it seemed like it was originally aimed at the aimed at the comic shop audience, and then yes. well, maybe that didn't work out quite as well as they thought it would. So it went to the bookstores, and now it's kind of creeping its way back into the comic shop, except for the really good ones that sort of kept with it all the way along. So, I don't know. That's true. Anyway, so um, I want to wrap things up a little bit. So we're going to move on to this section I'm going to call Pimp Your Project. <laughs> so talk about what you're working on now and what you'd like to share with the Inkstead's listeners. Um, Chris. Uh, thank you very much, Deb, for the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you like comics, man, are you going to like uh, TCAP this year? Um, no, I, I like I mentioned at the, at the offset. I'm I'm currently uh, knee deep in planning for the 2010 Toronto Comic Arts Festival, and uh, we decided to try and do it annually this year uh, because we like working uh, really hard all the time. <laughs> so uh, it previously had been every other year, and it gives us a little bit more time to plan. But it's actually going really well this year. It's going to be uh, a real step up over over last year, even, and uh, we're still. Announcing and confirming guests, right? But right now, our uh, our sort of featured exhibitors, our featured guests, are James Sturm, uh, who is going to be releasing Market Day, his first new graphic novel in a while, and uh, Dash Shaw for Body World, which is coming up from Pantheon. He's going to be in attendance, and uh, Canadian Jeff Lemire, uh, the first graphic novel collection of his series for Vertigo, Sweet Tooth, is debuting at the show, and. Uh, Daniel Klaus, uh, who, I mean, doesn't need any introduction, but uh, Ghost World and 8-Ball and, and all kinds of great stuff, Lloyd Llewellyn, <laughs> uh, is, uh, is actually debuting his brand, his brand new graphic novel, Wilson, at the show, and he's going to be in attendance. And so, you know, it's, it's already, and plus over 200 other great exhibitors, including some absolute monsters of web comics, uh, like Jeff Jocks and, and Kate Beaton and Ryan North and uh, Rich Stevens and... and you know, it's Jeff Rowland, and it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome so far. We're really excited. I think it's going to be a really great year. And I spent like Thursday and Friday confirming a couple of more sort of big featured guests. So next week's going to be <laughs> interesting for announcing stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, coming up May eighth and ninth in Toronto. So make your plans now and get a passport if you are American and need to travel to Canada. Uh, <laughs> Start now. <laughs> America will not let you back into Canada, or will not let you back in from Canada if you don't have a passport. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're really excited about that. And that's sort of soaking up all my time right now. And the web address for Toronto TCAF is? Oh, I'm sorry. The Toronto Comic Arts Festival, or TCAF, is torontocomics.com. 
or Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Excellent. Okay, David, pimp your project. I I am completely projectless. Oh. So, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I could look. Your blog I'm, is your project. Ultimo review, you know, because Stanley and Shaman King, what's what's not to like about that? But <laughs> I'll just pass it over to Ryan, so. Oh, but give your blog address so people can check oh, you out. It's P-R-E-C-U-R at, or P-R-E-C-U-R dot WordPress dot com. Excellent. Okay, and Ryan, pimp your project. Oh, cool. Um, so after Tokyo Zombie, I was working for a while on a, a zine. Um, it's called Electric Ants Zine. Uh, I haven't been sued yet by Marble and David <laughs> Mack, which is cool. I, I started it before I knew that they had licensed it, but we obviously all like the same uh, short story. But, um, yeah, that, that's um, kind of a collection of random stuff. It has a lot of contributors that any comics people might like. Uh, Lisa Hannawald, Dash Shaw, Michael DeForge, Angie Wang, um, there, Helen Joe. There's a... There's a Jam comics, illustration features, and then some random articles. Actually, if you're interested in, in manga, the first issue has a really long interview with Frederick Schott, who was uh, Osama Tezuka's translator and kind of manga expert, sort of our, he's our um, Scott McCloud, I guess. And uh, the second issue has a long feature. Of, there's a lot of Japan, uh, stuff about Japan and Tokyo and comics in there. My main project right now is working on the uh, adaptation for Suhiro Maro's The Strange Tale of Panorama Island from Last Gasp. Um, It's a much bigger and harder project than Tokyo Zombie was, but um, Evan and I are working hard on it, uh, hoping to have, if not things for sale, but definitely copies to show at um, San Diego Comic-Con this summer. Can you explain a little bit about who Maro Suhiro is and about... The, the stories to get people interested in? Oh, sure. Um, he, if you like weird comics uh, and weird manga especially, you probably know him. He was released in the 80s. Um, he is in Secret Comics Japan. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. He's in Comics Underground Japan. But uh, he had two books, uh, Mr. Rashi's Freak Show and then a collection called, um, what was the collection called? Oh, my God. Was it Rose Colored Monsters? No, um, I'll think of it. Oh, it was Ultra... Ultra Gadget Freak. Yeah. Wow, I'm going to get kicked off my blog by my readers. <laughs> um, but anyway, he um, he's very inspired by uh, 1920s and 1930s sort of uh, milieu, uh, detective stories, uh, grotesque, and sort of beautiful violence. Um, so he hasn't been released in English for a long time, but he's a huge uh, favorite of the, the online comics sort of illegal translating scene. But... Um, this comic will be his first English release in a long time. Um, hopefully not his last. Um, it's a long, it's a 300-page sort of story adapted from a, a 1920s short story uh, um, novelette by Edogawa Rampo, who's like the Edgar Allan Poe of Japan. Mm-hmm. And it basically involves um, a frustrated science fiction writer impersonating uh, an old friend who's very wealthy and diverting, uh, by digging up his corpse, of course, and then uh, diverting all his wealth to build this sort of pleasure island for himself. Wow. It's, it's not as, um, it's not shocking for being shocking's sake, but it, it is a, it's a very beautiful draftsman, lovely book with a lot of sort of, I guess it's more like the Satyricon by Fellini sort of kind of environment. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful book. And um, so we'll be having that later this year. And um, always sort of interested in helping any of these publishers who want to bring over stuff. There's so much stuff yet to 
be seen by uh, English readers. Um, we're hoping that they'll maybe I, there's no actual plans, but we're hoping to have a Shintaro Kago book at some point in the future. And I say we, I mean people at same had an indie comics fan. So I think they'll, I, this year has been better than last year in terms of exciting releases. And I think 2011 will be even better than 2010. So yeah, it's just a really exciting time to read comics. And what want to pimp your, your blogs? Oh, uh, yeah, it's Same Hat is the blog. It's samehat.blogspot.com. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you, guys. This was really a nice conversation, and you guys all had great things to say. So um, any last words? Uh, please shop at The Beguiling. We would like to sell you good independent manga and comics. Excellent. David? Um... By Red Snow, published by Drawn and Quarterly. It's a lot of great rural sort of Gakaga stories like Tetsumi's, but, you know, on farms. So, okay. Excellent. And Ryan? I'm going to be at TCAF, so if you want to get drunk and sing karaoke, come hang out in Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good sign-off. All right. Thank you so much, guys. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Deb. Thank Thank you, Deb. Everyone around me is a total stranger Everyone avoids me like a cyclone